On this episode of The Midwives' Cauldron, it's just me and Rachel hanging out and stirring the pot discussing vaginal examinations. We take a step back in history to look at how midwives originally used vaginal examination during labour and for what purpose. We look at current guidelines. Rachel goes on her classic history trail for us and has found out the original research that guidelines are based on. We talk about said research, timelines of labour, the risks of vaginal examinations, language midwives could use to discuss vaginal examinations in labour, the importance of talking about vaginal examinations during the antenatal phase, and how mainstream media influences us into thinking that vaginal examinations are actually an important part of our labour. We look at how medical birth needs a different assessment from physiological birth, and I ask whether there should ever be a timeline on labour, and if so, for how long. And we question how students can actually learn the skill of vaginal examinations if we shouldn't be doing as many as we are and lastly Rachel teaches me the word fertile all of this and much much more on this episode of the midwife's cauldron so get the keys in the engine baby in the sling and the dog on the leash as you're in for a great treat I'm Katie James, and this is the Midwives Cauldron Podcast. Each episode, I'm joined by my incredible co-host, Dr. Rachel Reed. Listen in as we hubble, bubble, toil and trouble our way through aspects of womanhood, midwifery, birth and lactation. So go on, subscribe now, and hear us on your favorite podcast host. Just a sec, before we start on this epic episode, if you love the show and want more from Rachel and me, then head on over to our website and check out all the courses, books, collectives a go-go. You'll find all the details and occasional discount deals on the old Instagram at The Midwife's Cauldron or, of course, in the show notes below. And if you really, really love the show, please consider two things, a single or a monthly donation over on Patreon or even buy me a coffee. And remember, that review you leave on your podcast host really makes a difference in who listens in. Thank you for your support. We just love having you bubbling away with us. I've got... Mm, what? condoms what are you doing now are you just branching out <laughs> branching out into sex education they're gonna a be banana. a prop for my for my no for my lesson i don't know how it's gonna work we'll see right. i need an amniotic sack thinking i can make one can you not just blow up the condom well i might i'm gonna put water in it oh yeah great it's brills lovely Oh, you got two of them. Oh, I get it. Ah, that's awesome. I've got well, no, no, I've got two because I asked my daughter to bring one. She brought two because she knows I'll probably break one while I'm. Oh, I thought you were just gonna have the Corion and Amnion. Then you've got two. 
No, because then I'd have to colour them in. Oh, can you imagine? Otherwise, you wouldn't. You could just use like food dye with the water. Oh my god! No. In one on the inside. I just one, need a sack. Not of, the outside I just one. need a sack of water to squeeze. Right. I was just thinking you could burst one bit and no. But then you'd have to put them together, put your hand in the condom, and then like put the other one over the top, like two pairs of socks, and then blow them up. <laughs> oh, you'd be covered in all that smell. <laughs> anyway, that's not what I'm talking about today. Brilliant. Well, I'm excited for what you're talking about today. I love how you're looking at your notes now, like, what am I talking about today? Because <laughs> it's changed. Because <laughs> I was talking about I know. Something. And I went, oh. I know. And then I woke up this morning and went, okie dokie, we have a different topic. That's all right. <laughs> well, I Thanks just thought, for the questions. Well, I'm, I'm busy writing something with something completely different. And I'm not very good at switching yeah. from one thing to the other. So we'll see how I do with this. I thought it would be easier to switch into this than into the other one, which we might do another time. So I'll not say what it is to build suspense. I'll leave it at that. I need like side effects. Side effects? No, sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what the side effects are from listening to this. Hopefully just laughter and empowerment and strength. You have to have warning, uh, like, warnings, side effects. Your warning label. This could cause headaches, dizziness, diarrhea. <laughs> Please do not listen while operating dangerous machinery. <laughs> I think that should be a warning anyway, to be <laughs> honest. All right. So, Rachel, I'm so excited that today, and we I've just been waiting for this for so long. I mean, actually, I have, to be honest. We're talking about... Bees and assessing labour progress. Amazing. Yes. And we this have, is brills. We have kind of talked about it before, which is why I was going, oh, I'm yeah. not sure. But we haven't really focused in on vaginal examinations. And I think, I mean, I get a lot of questions asking, you know, which podcast specifically talks about this? And I have to answer. Well, it's like a smattering throughout a lot of podcasts. So I really have to listen that we're to them all. And we, I can have you have to listen to them all, but also I can say there is this one. Go and listen to. I mean, you should be listening to all our podcasts. Just saying, everybody, and why not? And if you haven't, go back back catalog. But here today is a little super song of vaginal examinations. <laughs> a super song. <laughs> but you should put those words together. Oh, right. Maybe you should start talking. I should just shut up. Right. Well, this, got, the right, sounds well. a little bit off this end, so you'll have to edit it, edit that and do the. Oh, brilliant! That's brilliant. So, can I can I just start and ask you a question? Yes, go for it. So, you know what's going on today is that VEs, vaginal examinations, are a routine element of midwifery practice, but. Have they always been? Well, so now you're right. Now it's a very, very important skill that lots of student midwives freak out about. And, you know, that's how they get assessed and they're expected to do them. And it's, you know, stressful, as you know, having to learn how to do them and everything just feels like mush for a few years. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh, that's ahead. <laughs> Um, and even then, you know, you have, you, there's a lot of times you get caught out. Um, 
when you think you know you're not sure anyway so yes it is a and you feel really embarrassed as well like when you're in quotes wrong yes yeah if you ever are wrong and so yes it is exactly it is still a skill and it has always been a midwifery skill but the difference mm. is it hasn't always been to assess progress so midwives have always had the skill and have done vaginal examinations but until fairly recently it's been in order to assess what they think may be a complication. So, you know, thinking that this labor Mm -hmm. pattern's not normal or, you know, I'm a bit worried about something about this labor. And then they would use a vaginal examination as part of the assessment to get a better idea of the position of the baby, mostly, not the cervix, but, you know, is this baby coming down brow first? Um, That kind of thing. So that's how it turned. Yeah. That's how it used to be used was let's see if there's, I mean, I can really remember looking after a woman who was having a third baby. It wasn't her first. And she was, you know, pushing and she hadn't been pushing for long, but it just felt wrong. And she said, this baby's not moving. Mm. And we did a vaginal examination. And it was a brow. It was a, the baby's forehead coming down. So it, that's how vaginal examination used to be used until fairly recently. And there was even... And again, this is difficult because written, the written word around midwifery practice isn't until fairly recently after um, medicalization because midwifery was an oral tradition that was passed down. So we're having to kind of look back in, in history and, and pick up little bits that may have, have been written. And if we look back, then there were certainly warnings about doing too many vaginal examinations, you know, all the way through history until the 16th, wow. 17th century. And then we see a shift once really? into that. Yeah. So midwives in the 60s. Like warnings to say yeah. you shouldn't be doing this, like only use this if you're noticing a problem or you need to blah, 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 X, Y, Z. Yes. So, you know, we had European midwives saying, you know, don't do too much vaginal meddling, that it's best to wait um, and see what happens. Wow. Um and, you know, the early, even the early 1900s, the midwifery textbooks recommended um, only carrying out a VE if labor had become unusually long. So they were saying, you know, and if a labor wow. had gone on for 24 hours, then maybe a vaginal examination should be done. So oh, that was the early 1900s. Oh, my God, compared to what we have now. Hmm. And can you guess why? Can you guess why it all shifted? Um, I'm going to say patriarchy and medicalization and to make sure that us women were doing what we were told to keep us and in our place this man don't know whether you can see that oh wait oh emmanuel a friedman yes is that right because you oh, yeah. emmanuel oh. a friedman in the 1950s which we have talked about before because this was the guy who created graphs when i was researching this when I was creating a lesson about this, um, I came across this book popped up on eBay from America. Somebody who just sells secondhand books was selling labor, clinical evaluation and management second edition. Because when I do research, I try and find the original source and it's really difficult with old texts and Emmanuel yeah. Friedman. I have got his journal articles, um, but I wanted to see what he was writing in textbooks. So I got this and it's just fascinating. Yeah. I'm actually going to put some pictures of it's all graphs and you know the body is a machine which was 
as we've talked about before, influential in the development of the medical understanding of birth as a machine and a process where the cervix kind of just opens in nice, neat circles, one centimetre an hour, and you can plot it on of a graph. Course. So that's absolutely, when, we should all be plotted on a graph, every, every daily activity that women do, really. And there Keep was actually in our place. We actually weren't doing vaginal examinations all of the time. It was also rectal examinations. So in a lot of places, they would assess oh, the cervix through the rectum. Because apparently you can feel well, the rectum. I can't say I've ever tried, but apparently you can. I mean, I can remember being taught that that had occurred, like, and that was a recent thing that that used to happen. Um, and thankfully, in our training, we were not made to do that. No. <laughs> We were just made to do vaginal examinations. But mm-hmm. but really, Friedman was a reflection of the time. So, you know, we can blame him, but he's actually just writing in the culture that was happening at that time. And mm-hmm. that's why we now have vaginal examinations as part of modern midwifery practice routinely in order to assess labour rather than as there had been in order to determine if there was a complication and help to assess what was happening in a complication. Now we had it routinely for all labours to assess progress. And we have already talked on podcasts. I'm not going to go full on into that because people Mm. can go back and listen to our podcast with Claire Davison about, you know, there is no evidence that doing a vaginal examination assesses progress. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yet that's what we are doing quite a lot of what's the research support in the use of bees right now like is there any or is this going to be like fetal monitoring where i get really annoyed and you tell me the same thing <laughs> i think most of midwifery I need to is prepare like myself fetal monitoring where you just actually end up more confused by the time you've looked at everything than you were if you just followed the flow chart following flow charts is easy once you start questioning what's happening it does your head in so VEs mm. is is like that um you know since the 1950s and then the 70s which is when that book was published and Friedman's and Friedman's work ended up in hospitals all across the world by the 1990s since then there has been a whole load of research and we've covered some of it when we've talked to Dr Claire Davison about research progress etc um but I, so I'm just going to give you a summary rather than reading through the research because of there's thank you there's <laughs> there there is Cochrane review so there is enough for, to do Cochrane reviews but essentially this is the my synopsis of the research about doing vaginal examinations to assess labor progress Okay. Current understandings of labour progress patterns are incorrect. That's what the evidence says. There is right. no evidence that vaginal examinations can accurately assess labour progress or improve outcomes. And many women experience vaginal examinations negatively and some find them traumatising. That's a summary of mm. the research. So, wow. no, there isn't good research to support doing it. But it was brought in, just like everything else, without the evidence. It was brought in based on a very small, crappy bit of research and evidence from Friedman that created the partogram. Everyone just started doing it. And now we're desperately trying to get research to show it's all right not to do the thing, which is just how everything seems to work. And even the research that's looking at vaginal examinations is still done in the same paradigm and the same, and the, the outcomes are, or the, 
recommendations are still in the same paradigm. So for example, I don't, you can probably remember this because it, it was all over the news when research found that women's cervixes don't open the way that Friedman said they do. And the recommendation and that they actually do it a lot slower until kind of six centimeters, in which case things tend to speed up. That's a, a synopsis. So let's just start the clock at six centimeters. You know, that was the recommendation. Not okay. So it doesn't work. Let's mm. get rid of it. It was just let's shift the parameters, even though they're still parameters. So even though we're doing more research, we're still coming out with the same answers because the research is asking questions that are still coming out of the same paradigm. The whole thing is tainted. And it's geared up to keep following this kind of partograms in charting and having these expectations and limitations on women's bodies rather than looking at a, a whole cohort and saying, wow, look at the vast variety of what prima gravida women do, women who've had two babies, maybe women who've had three babies, and let's look at this as a whole rather than putting them into boxes and going, actually, these are our research parameters, and then ends up with a similar outcome because we're looking at it through that lens. Yeah, and the whole lens that the cervix is is the determining factor of progress. When it's not, it's one small thing. And you know, as we've said before, whether or not it opens is not just about where the labor progress is, it's the position of the baby, it's all kinds of, you know, whether the woman's had babies before. Individual women have individual patterns of their cervix opening, just like they do with menstruating and other bodily processes. We're all just a bit different. And that's how our bodies yeah. labor. And when it comes to labor progress, it's more about the transformation of the uterus. It kind of builds this fundus. And as part of building the fundus, the cervix gets stretched out of the way and sometimes held out of the way for the baby's heads holding it out of the way. So long story short, it can't, a vaginal examination cannot tell us about the progress of a labor. And yet this is what we carry on doing. But VEs are entrenched and they are in every single guideline and hospital policy. So as a midwife, you are obliged or feel obliged to do them. And it's a really tricky place to be because you you feel like you're completely going against, you know, if it's a policy, guidelines, one thing, but if it's a policy, you feel so stuck. And it's a really tricky, it feels like it could be a tricky path to to run, not only because it's in writing, it's what all your colleagues do, but going against that can feel really scary because you're not at that point where you're possibly trusting your instincts and the other ways of assessing progress. Yes, you're right. And that's what a lot of midwives say to me. So... As a midwife, you have an obligation to, if you're employed by an employer, to follow their guidelines and their policies. There is no guideline that says do a vaginal examination every four hours full stop. You offer a vaginal examination. They don't use the word offer. So yes, you will. If you are working in a facility that that's part of the expected practice of you, you could choose not to do it because it's not evidence-based, but you know, good luck to you and you'll, you'll be, you know, fighting some, sometimes you're up for a fight, sometimes you're not, or you can actually 
you know, you have to get consent to do it so you can share the information with the women. And yeah, most women will say do it even with adequate information because it's culturally normal for women to have that as well and for them to think that's progress, Mm. labour progress. But if we look at guidelines, they're not evidence-based. And let me just walk you through, because I did, you know, that thing that Sarah and I do and we're bored because we're... I love it. (laughs) We're all grateful that you do this. And you go back and you're like, well, that's not evidence. Let's go further back. That's not evidence. Well, it's a bit sad, but anyway, I got the Queensland Health Normal Birth Guidelines because they're my local guidelines. So everyone can play along at home. Go and get your local guidelines. Um, Queensland Health Normal. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for this game! Brilliant. Someone from Switzerland, can you just get in uh, the guidelines for me? So the Normal Birth Guidelines for Queensland are actually quite good in that they actually do. They're pretty much evidence based, like a lot of guidelines on. But this is what the guidelines. Are we saying evidence-based with the quote marks there as in the evidence that you just gave? The Queensland Health Normal Birth Guidelines are actually pretty good. And actually a lot of guidelines, if you read them, the problem is that in clinical areas, often people don't read the guidelines and it becomes just hearsay. So it's like, oh, the guidelines say blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, hang on, read the guidelines because that's not what it actually says. But Let's look at the vaginal examination because I think most guidelines drop the ball when it comes to vaginal examination. So in the Queensland Health um, Normal Birth Guidelines, it says that um, where membranes are intact, there is no evidence to support or reject the use of routine VEs in labour to improve outcomes for women and babies. Correct. Brilliant. So then it says, you know, keep aim to keep the number of VEs to a minimum. To assist in decision-making, recommend a VE, right, here we go, within four hours of presentation, so they've just gone against what they've just said, offer every four hours in active labour or if clinically, uh. if clinical concerns are identified. So they've actually made an evidence-based statement and then made a, an indication for doing it that is against the statement. So let's have a look at the reference that they use for offering every four hours. Reference mm-hmm. number 40 which is the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence. That's, you know, another oh, guideline. UK. Let's fly the over. UK. We're going to fly over to the UK and we're going to look at their guideline. So in their guideline, this is what they say. Offer a vaginal examination for hourly or if there is a concern about progress or in response to the woman's wishes. And that was 2007, but in the updated guideline, they haven't changed that. that so the 2017 guideline says exactly the same thing. And the citation Mm. they gave for that, so now we're going to travel off to find out what they're citing, is a research that was done in 1996 that was called, Mm. Can the Frequency of Vaginal Examinations Influence the Duration of Labour? A prospective randomised study. Right. So... This was a study. So this, remember, this study is being used to recommend four hourly VEs. This study mm-hmm. was basically looking at 109 nulliparous patients, so that's women having their first baby, in spontaneous labor after 37 weeks. And they were randomly allocated to either have two hourly VEs or four hourly VEs. And there was no difference in the duration of their labors. We'll be right back. I just wanted to pop into your luggles and tell you about my brand spanking new podcast, The Feeding Couch. 
This podcast ain't just designed with pregnant women or new parents in mind, but also for all of us working in the space of birth work. This is the podcast where I hand the mic over to a different mum, dad, parent, or even grandparent to take us on their feeding journey. Every story matters. It's often through hearing others' experiences where we find our own inner knowledge, strength, and courage. Listen in to hear the stories told of triumph, challenge, heartwarming, tear-jerking, fist-pumping, and how we each deal with our venture into this new world emotionally, socially, and physically. Whether you're a student, a newbie midwife, doula, lactation exam prepper, or just hungry for more knowledge, these stories will also give you a backstage pass to the Global Lactation Clinic. Whether you're pregnant and seeking information or supporting those on their journey, I can't wait to see you on the couch with me soon. Oh, and a little favour, your reviews on Apple Podcasts mean the world. They're like magic beans that help spread the podcast out for those who need to hear it. Let's make this something amazing together. But that, that's not telling us anything. And also it hasn't looked at the alternative of not doing a four hourly or a two hourly BE. And did it look at the women's um, psychological well-being of what they felt? No. So the results, they say, say the results of the study indicate that as far as duration of labour is concerned, there's no added value of adding in another VE to do it every two hourly. So that is the reason wow, great. to support today's recommendation for four hourly VEs and guidelines. Oh, four hourly. Yeah. But that isn't a recommendation of four hourly. That's not, it's just a recommend, it's just looking at the difference between four hourly and yeah. two hourly not, and whether they're doing it even more frequently. Yeah. We didn't have a, like a control. And it's only on the duration of labor. So you're right, you know, not not about outcomes or whether women liked it or not liked it or experience of labor or. So that's my little trail wow. through that research. So. And that's it. That was, that was it. That, that was, was that it. piece of research. Nothing yeah. else. No. Now, now guidelines are made by working parties. Okay. Now I thought you might be interested in my input to that guideline review. Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> because another good waste <laughs> of your time is being on a working party and, and ref, you know, responding to the guidelines. Now I was saying that and I shouldn't say that it's not a waste of time because you do change things. So I have seen Queens and Health Guideline evolve and shift according to people's responses to it. So it does change things. However, just to make the point that remember the highest evidence is, you know, meta-analysis of randomized control trials, right? Which we don't have to support that. So this is my response mm. to those guidelines when it was talking about like assessing labor progress. So in the latent first stage, because they use the first stage thing, my response to it was that it would be nice to include the evidence re-women's experiences of early labour and issues re-accessing their intended birthing place. It is important for midwives to understand their role as gatekeepers and ensure they are providing woman-centred care at this time. Right? The response from the... So they have to give a table of everybody's comments and their response to the comments. <laughs> the response to that comment. Thank you for your feedback. Mm -hmm. Out of scope. <laughs> what? <laughs> so <laughs> then... <That> was it. <laughs> So Wait, the, hold on. So the experience of women's... <laughs> that was just it. <laughs> yes. So the experience of women's 
women's experiences of early labor care is out of the scope of normal birth guideline anyhow so then the comment Whoa, that i made I'm sorry just i can only laugh because otherwise i'm gonna cry there was okay. most okay. most of my suggestions got that response i think they just cut and pasted it but here's a slightly different response <laughs> about the duration so i said the reference here is acog guidelines not research evidence Rates of cervical dilatation vary between individual women and are not a good indicator of future labour progress. Response to me. Thank you for your feedback. In the absence of evidence, in quotes, contemporary practice slash consensus is is frequently all that guides practice. Right. So right there, we have an absolute (gasps) admission that they are using consensus to guide practice which is not really the highest. Well, we've been doing it a long time. <laughs> Seems to be working. We'll just carry on. That's all right. No one's worried about that, are they? Everyone loves a pair of fingers, gloved fingers stuck up there. Exactly. Who has? So when when we talk to midwives about guidelines, they need to understand that the guidelines they're working from, yeah, there may be some evidence in there, but they're primarily culture-based. And I love McCourt's quote about this which is that despite claims of evidence-based practice, practices are underpinned by an established hierarchy of understanding and practice rather than by research. So that's what we're working with. And that's why midwives struggle because they're having, they're supposed to be working from guidelines that are mostly culture-based and then they feel obligated to do these things. And there is an alternative. We know that, you know, we talked, we had a whole episode with Claire about assessing labor progress in different ways. And we all do it. You know, we can all assess where a woman is looking at her behaviors. And in any way, does it matter where she is? If the baby's well, she's well, all's well. It really doesn't matter. This comes back to, again, institutional birth where it has to be in time frame so we can get women in and out mm-hmm. in the time frame that the institution is funded for. So, you know, that's a lot of the underpinning rationale. Um, yeah, so that's, so for midwives doing this thing, you need to share that with women. And to do a vaginal examination, you need to get consent. So if you're working somewhere, and I think I've probably said this before, in an organization where vaginal examinations are the ex- expectation of your role because it's in the guidelines or the policy, etc then you do need to tell women that, hopefully antenatally. But even if you're caring for a woman before you do a vaginal examination, you need to say to her that in this hospital, um, it is a recommendation that we offer a vaginal examination every four hours. And that word offer is so important to say offer. Mm. And then you talk to her about the risks of a vaginal examination, that this that this is not evidence-based, it's not necessarily going to tell us where you are in labor and it might make you, you know, think about how you're going to feel if it, if your cervix isn't as open as you think it is, even though you might have your baby in an hour's time. So, you know, that it's not an accurate, it's not accurate, going to give you any accuracy about when you're going to have your baby. Um, that we're risking infection when we put our fingers in, we might accidentally break your waters. Most women find it uncomfortable, if not painful you'll probably find that there's an increase in contractions that in order to get a really good assessment, you're probably going to have to change position. Um, Trying to think of the top of my head if there's any more. So you're telling her the risks. And then you're also saying to her that it's not an accurate assessment, but that's the recommendation because that's just how it has been for many years. And there's lots of research showing that it's 
you know, doesn't really assess progress. And then you say to the woman, what would you like to do? And you also reassure her and say, you know, I can see that there's been changes since you came here. You know, you, you're moving differently. Your baby's moving down. I can, you know, the baby's happy. You're doing really well. Do you want to know what your cervix is doing? Yep. And then exactly. say, and I'll support you either way. Most women will say yes. That's great. But a lot of women yes will to say VE or yes to yes to a the... VE because they think that that's what's expected. Yeah. And even when you say that this is not evidence based, I don't mind either way. They'll still because we're socialized to be good girls. All antenatal, you know, if they're watching TV or they're engaging in mainstream antenatal education, it's all about the cervix. So they're going to want that number yes. because, you know, when you're in yes. labor, you just do think, when the fuck is this going to end? And if you think yes. that somebody putting their fingers in you and telling you a number is going we'll to tell you a time frame. Exactly. Then you're going to say, do it. Of course. So most women will say, but other and- women will say, well, do I have to? And you say, no. And then you document. And then, yes, as a midwife, it's actually your job to then document that and then protect and support her if there's any kickback from other people. And I think also explaining the other signs of progress in labour. Mm-hmm. Like we need to be doing this antenatally, ideally not during the labour because it's pretty difficult to actually absorb that information. But <laughs> we get, shouldn't, you can, like you, you say. point out and... <laughs> <laughs> I love doing that. I'm known for it. Now, just I between just bring it in, my little, Look up here. And the laser pointer. <laughs> <laughs> and if you'd like to direct your vision right down to your vulva right now. <laughs> well, this, but this is where people who are in antenatal education, who, who deliver antenatal education, can make a massive difference because they, because yes. once a woman's in there, it's too late, really. You know, she's now in that limp. She needs to just disconnect her thinking brain and get on with it. Um, so yeah, some thoughts around antenatal information, and those of us who are lucky enough to work in continuity of care can do this as well. Is in you need to talk to women about VEs if they are going to birth in a place where it's the norm. In fact, I would even talk to them as a private practice midwife where I don't I don't routinely do them. It's I would still have that conversation mm. and ask her her thoughts about vaginal examinations and labour. What does she already know? What are her expectations? Does she have any particularly strong beliefs nice. either way to work out where she's at with that and share the cultural norms of the place she's going to birth in so that she's aware that the hospital she's birthing in or the birth centre has this particular approach to vaginal examination so she's not kept off, you know, caught off guard and share the evidence. So then talk to her about the research evidence, talk to her about the physiology of birth and how the uterus transforms and how the cervix is pulled open and you know why what the cervix is doing is not a great indicator of what the full whole uterus is doing or when she's going to have her baby. Talk to her about the mm-hmm. risks of VEs. Talk about the benefits. Some women like to have a number. And for if it's a number that's positive, it can give women huge amounts of reassurance to go on, even yes. though it's false reassurance. But how many times have we heard the story of, oh, my God, I'm still four centimetres, and then in an hour's time... Yeah, she's giving all the signs of this baby's mm-hmm. about to come. However, we've ignored it. VE's been done, assessed as four centimetres. But actually, that's completely not what's happening. I mean, Claire talks beautifully about that mm. yeah. in, in her episode. Absolutely. And remind her about her legal rights, that she has to give consent to anything that's done to her and what consent means and how 
you know, what she would, information she would need to get that and reinforce, reinforce your support again, that this is her body and it's actually her decision, nobody else's. And also, you know, what I'm talking about here is primarily about physiological birth. And let's face it, most women don't have an unmedicalized physiological birth. And things yes. change once you're not having that. So, you know, a woman who's having an induction, then because we are doing a medical intervention, there is a much stronger rationale for then seeing what the cervix, because you can't see what the fundus is doing, but seeing if the cervix is opening in response to the medication, because that's yes. that's valuable information in that medical intervention, because it's a medical birth. It's not a physiological birth. We're actually making it happen. You know, like likewise, mm. if a woman has an epidural and she can't feel or sense all those other signs of progress, and we can't assess from the outside, and let, it doesn't hurt when you've got an epidural, she she might want to have a vaginal examination to have that bit of information, knowing that you know, still fairly inaccurate, but it's another bit of information. So you know, mm. and in some hospitals, they will say you can't have an epidural unless you've had a vaginal examination. Well, they can say it, but but it's also really difficult to stand up to that, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. It's very and, and you shouldn't and also have to you, be. Yeah, and you can't make somebody give you something. You can't make somebody give you an epidural. You can stop someone from doing it because you have to give consent to get it. But it's a really tricky spot to be in if somebody's saying you can't get into the pool if you haven't had a VE, or yes. you can't have an epidural if you haven't had a VE. Like, it's really what it's, you do. You just jump just, in the pool anyway. So it's it's putting women in this really abusive position of you have to have this thing done to your body in order to get something that you want from us. So while it's all kind of wrong. And it's taking them out of the space where they're meant to be in. Yeah. Like that completely, as you say, the liminal space is switched off. They're having to be switched on mm -hmm. and being re-brought back into the, the kind of physical world to argue their rights, which is, you know, so disruptive in terms of, the processes of birth yeah which is I why mean, is antenatal preparation is the best approach to this and continuity of care because if you are going into a facility for example that insists on women having a ve before they can get into the birthing pool right if you share that with women antenatally you know you can write birth plans around that you can engage with the local facility and say look this is your as the midwife because that's actually your job to advocate for the woman and create a plan, a pathway so that that's respected. And I have actually seen women go into hospital with birth plans that have been previously negotiated and discussed with, with hospital staff. And, and I don't want to say the word get away with because it's not like that, but, you know, have their wishes met that were right outside of the comfort zone of the facility because they'd previously talked about it, had it documented and owned it. So, you know, yeah. that's a kind of bit of a tangent off. But you're right, antenatal information is really important for women. So they're not caught off guard trying to navigate VE policies while they're busy trying to give birth. Yeah. They shouldn't have to. They shouldn't have to do that antenatally. But that's the state of where we're at, unfortunately. I mean, to have to engage with the hospital on top of everything. Mm hmm you know, it's huge. It's a lot of work and thinking and investigating for so many women. And you would hope that when you're pregnant, that you can rely on the information that's being given to you from the place where you're planning to give birth. But yeah. we know it's not quite like that yet. No, and that's why a lot of women opt out of it. And that's also why we need to 
what I call sharing the map is it's not about saying, oh, the hospital's a really evil place and is going to try and do all these horrible things to you. It's talking to women about how the organizations operate and that they're general in nature, that they have these guidelines that are about generalized care that are aimed at care providers who have little experience and lots of experience. And that in order to map a pathway through that, you know, you need to take ownership of it if if that's what you're planning to do. And that, you know, individuals in the organization either really don't give a shit what you do as long as their back's covered. You know, as long as they're not the one who's going to get cop it for you making decisions, which they're not. If you have had those conversations and documented it, then, you know, nine times out of 10, it's it's supported. Absolutely. And I think the way you spoke about it was brilliant. So what about for like when you were working in private practice? So it wasn't common practice to do VEs. And then the woman says, can you do a vaginal examination? Yeah, well, the the great thing about working in private practice is you don't have to follow hospital <laughs> policies. You don't even have to have these yeah. conversations if you don't <laughs> want to. Um, and, you know, I would only do a vaginal examination or initiate one if I was concerned. And I would talk to the woman about what my concerns were and whether or not we could get more information by doing that. Or sometimes you don't. You just think, oh, this baby needs a, a bit of help in jigging back out the pelvis to get back in again. You don't even do a vaginal examination to work that out because you can tell but I would only do it in response to you know a concern let's say but a good percentage of women will ask for VE at some point even women who have made the decision to not birth in a hospital setting and you know want a totally you know undisturbed birth um, because Mm. it's so deeply entrenched in our culture, that it's in that subconscious part of the brain. So when we're laboring and our our clever thinking brain's tuned down, all of that subconscious stuff rises up. And when women get mm. to that point where they're like, I can't do this anymore, particularly you know around transition, where they're going, how much longer mm. am I going to have to do this? They will often ask, like, how far along am I? You know, can yeah. you do a VE? Like, how many centimeters am I? And it can be really can totally understand that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I will. I will not. Because it's like, oh, my God, this feels like so intense now. I don't know if I can actually continue with this. This is like the peak. Like I'm just hanging on here because you're at that point. And it's like, just someone tell me it's like the baby's about to just fall out. Like I need to know. And then I can go, oh, great. I've got minutes. Whew. I can yeah. get it. Like that makes sense that that's totally what would come up to be like, how much longer this, I'm at my limit. I, I'm i not coping. I'm going to lose my shit. Just tell me. Even <laughs> though you could go in, say mm, six centimeters and then like one <laughs> contraction later and there's a head on show. Ugh. But I get it. I get that kind of need of, like I've been in it's different situations in life where you go, I just need to know. I just need to know is how much longer. And even if you've had those conversations antenatally where you've said it doesn't tell you how much longer, it that's just wiped aside. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't I won't mm-hmm. say her name. <laughs> she might recognize herself. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, I looked after um a woman at for two of her home births, and at both of them. She knew that it was all you know, bullshit. VEs weren't needed. But at each one that I cared for, she asked me to do 
of E.E. when she was kind of feeling overwhelmed and losing it and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And my response to her was my usual re- response, which is like, to, you, first of all, you're trying to work out is what, is, what is, does this woman want? Does she actually want me to do a VE and get a number or is she just wanting reassurance? Will it be enough for me to just say, you're doing really well and reassure her? So yeah. I think that's the, that's the kind of first approach is to do the re- mm. reassurance. Okay, so if that doesn't work and it didn't with her. I then encourage her to do it herself because I actually don't need to know what a cervix is doing. And some women will do this. They'll just put their fingers in and they'll go, oh, there's a head there. Or, oh, my God, I can feel hair. Or, oh, I can't feel anything. And then just leave it. That's Uh We'll move on from that moment. Um, But this particular woman would do that and go, no, can you just do one? Basically, just fucking do your job. Rachel, just put your gloves on and do it. All right? Do a vaginal examination. (laughs) Um, so in, in those circumstances, you don't, I don't really need to get a really good estimate of the, you know, if I was concerned about a baby, then you're going to do the whole, I want a full S find out what position the baby's in all that stuff. You don't. So you can just put your fingers in, in whatever position the woman's in. You don't have to ask her to move because you're really just doing it to give her some information. So I'll put my fingers in mm. and every time, you know, they'd go, oh, yep, there's a bit of cervix there and I can feel the baby's head. Don't know how many centimeters because I'm not going to dig around, but your cervix is opening and the baby's there. Excellent. You're doing really well. <laughs> and that would Lovely. be enough. <laughs> I love the vagueness. That's perfect. <laughs> well, because I actually couldn't because, you know, it was, it was on all fours in a pool. So I can't. Yeah, be... you're like half upside down and yeah. in a really weird position. And <laughs> so we did that <laughs> twice and then she you know, had a baby and it was all good. And then with her last baby, I wasn't her midwife. So I was there as her friend, right? to birth support and she had like two really great midwives so I didn't have to get involved in that side of it but she started to do the same thing again because often women have patterns in labor so I I could see this happening and she said she actually said to me Rachel do you want to put your fingers in for old time's sake (laughs) (laughs) and I just said "Uh -uh, nope Uh I'm not your midwife this time you can't make me do that to you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love that the role reversal you can't make me do the VE <laughs> and she I think she actually birthed without it I can't remember now but I don't think the other midwives did it either because I think it was a bit of we had a bit of a laugh and then she had a baby not long afterwards yeah the laughter was just enough <laughs> to just get her over that next hurdle so basically Brilliant. what I'm saying is yes women will ask and if you're a midwife then you are with woman and if the woman insists then you're working for her and she knows the risks and she wants you to do it, you do it and give her the information. But, you know, a lot of women don't or they'll, they're quite happy with some reassurance because often women will ask it at that point where they're just needing to be told that they're doing amazingly and their baby is coming and that's enough. Yep. Can I ask you a question about time? And is there a point where you're at home birth or you're with a physiological birth? So I'm talking strictly physiological birth, no inter- interventions. Is there a point in time where you would go, hmm, I need to do a VE because of the time scale, like 24 hours, 36 hours, whatever it is. Is there ever a time when it's about time, if you see what I mean? Yes, I do see what you mean. Um, 
So it's not so much about time, it's about pattern, which I know is like not really a great answer. So, you know, for example, a, a woman who is having contractions every five minutes, every seven minutes, I'm not expecting to see a baby any time soon. She's probably going to have a very long labor because her labor pattern is really spaced out. If you're having very close together, strong, powerful contractions, I'm expecting to see a baby within 12 hours plus. So Friedman's curve is actually probably fairly accurate if a woman's having very strong contractions because those contractions should be doing something if they're coming that quickly and that's strong. So you are starting to, now my timing, and I know other home birth midwives use this one, is I don't like to see the sun go up or go down, depending on which one it is, twice. Yep. Now, that doesn't mean I would do anything about it, but if that's happening, then you're going, what's happening here? What's the pattern of the labor? Is the length yep. of this labor explained because the pattern is happening? What position is the baby in? You know, Is that contributing to this labor being a normally longer labor? Um, but you're really looking at patterns. So, And even then you would you'll be looking at other factors and talking to the woman. Women are women are usually the ones. In fact, I'm trying to think of a time when a woman hasn't been the one who says that this is not all right. There's something wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that because may- when we don't interfere and mask it, they listen to their body because they can't do anything but listen to their yeah. body. And they're connected in. They are the first ones to say, this doesn't feel right. Or is there something I can do because this is not, working or I don't I feel like the baby's not moving or things aren't happening. So it's more around that than the time frame. With women having VBACs is a little bit different because obviously thinking about the uterine scar, which is their only additional risk, mm. which is you know very, very small, particularly in physiological birth, we're talking about a lot less than 1%, like 0.2% or something. But what that tends to present with is a very unusual pattern of contractions. So uh-huh. you might be a bit more alert, but even then, you know, vagina examination is not going to do anything in that scenario. So no, I was just going to say that, but then the vagina examination doesn't actually give you no. anything. I mean, it can reassure you if you don't know about the evidence in terms of it doesn't really mean anything. No. However, you're going to be looking at the other signs to say if you need to transfer in or you're getting someone else more senior in the hospital to come and have a look to to assess other things yeah and then they would do it so you would transfer if you're definitely transferring in then there's no need for you to to be doing that but if it's you know if you're thinking is this baby in a very strange position like coming down brow or something else interesting then that that would that's what you'd be looking for not the how open the cervix was but what position is the baby in and you know i felt eyes feel very very odd the the Uh the worst uh, one that I've uh, I'm so gently like, and you kind of feel this weird orbit and you go that's what is that oh it's an eye orbit oh, the wow. weirdest thing I've ever felt was I, I put my fingers in and a little hand grabbed my fingers <gasps> and that's exactly that's what I oh did I actually, you know how you have to have that poker face when you're doing VEs right yes well my poker oh. face went and I actually went and then had to go, I'm really sorry, I'm really, everything's, fine. Like, everything's fine. I just have somebody holding my hand right now. That's like magical. Yeah, it was a little actually. hand. 
And she birthed vagina oh my perfectly God. fine. It just had its little hand in front of its head for a bit of the labour. <laughs> so oh, was... oh, I'm mind blown now because I'm like, wow, that's so incredible. <laughs> it's a bit freaky. Yeah, and sometimes, so you incredible. know, I haven't done this, but, you know, sometimes you might find a bottom. I found a bottom. You can find all kinds of strange things in there. All kinds of strange things in there. All kinds of feet, <laughs> bottoms, hands. I know someone who put their finger in and then the baby sucked on the finger. <laughs> Have you had that? Has no one else? So I've no one yeah, I know, told me that. And it, that, that was like, what? So that would be a crazy. And you're like, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's clearly like, oh. Yeah. So there is a time when you might do one and you might find interesting things when you're in there. But rarely. But then you've had all the signs. It's not just time. That's been, no, no, like it, you say, pattern has made you go, hmm, I just, I've got an inkling. The woman's got an inkling, but I can't work out what it is from everything else that's external. And then, of course, then you're like, oh, there's a little hand. <laughs> it's going, hello. And that oh, it might take a bit more time. That's what's going. There's a movement process happening there that's just taking a bit longer. It's just playing with the contractions. Yeah. And again, it's not about assessing the progress of labor. It's about responding to a particular concern or pattern to see more what's happening inside there in terms of the position of the baby. So we'll go back to the olden days then, I guess. is have done a nice circle in this podcast of... That's how a lot of midwives yeah. are still are now practicing is they've kind of we're we're not doing the four hourly VEs because we're not in institutions that are making us do that. And we've gone back to that doing it. It's a really important skill, really important skill for midwives to have. But it's a skill you don't use very often. Can I just ask about the assessment VE to be allowed in quotes? to come into the hospital yeah well that's bollocks because it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> great that's it that's all in but you know there's almost like this is this is the door mm. policy I'm the doorman I'm mm. the bouncer sorry not with those trainers mate go home get but that's not even... come back when you're ready <laughs> but that's not even in guidelines mostly most of the time that's not in the guidelines that that's the hospital trying to manage staffing and limit the number of people in there yeah. who want in. So that's it's not about the woman or about physiology or about how labour works. It's about protecting the institution from having wastes of time hanging about, not you know being in labour, not being worth their money. So how should we be handling that in terms of the ideal is to stay at home as long as possible when the woman is coping and has, well, you know, the... Well, no, and I and think not that's being a whole, in hospital too long. I think that's a whole podcast in itself is how we manage early labour. Write that down. We'll be back, listeners, we'll be back with that, because, because that's that where whole... I go, oh, this is a tricky one. Yeah. We need to discuss that. Sorry, guys, not this podcast. It's the next one. Put it on the list. <laughs> It's on the list. Okay. So then that leads me to, um, so when we're talking about learning how to feel confident with bees, because like you said, right at the beginning, this can be one of those things that you go in and go, um, I remember my first um, comment 
to my partner at the time, I was like, oh, I did my first VE. I was really excited, which <laughs> just owning it and admitting it. I'm sorry. And he was like, how was it like? And I went, um, warm. It's <laughs> my only comment. <laughs> I was like, it's really warm. He was like, is that it? And I went, yeah, I didn't know what I was feeling. No idea. <laughs> so like when you're a student, how the hell, like, how can we learn this skill and, but also reduce how many we do? Because you kind of feel like I just need to put my fingers inside every woman that I'm with as of, as often as possible so that I can practice. But you also now are listening to this podcast and going, um, but I shouldn't really be doing them. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Like, I guess if we went back to the old apprenticeship style, you would be working alongside a midwife. And when there was a complication and the initiating of a vaginal examination, you would be involved in that. And you would also do a vaginal examination and find, feel the brow and feel. So you'd probably then more be feeling pathology, but you'd also be feeling physiology. Yeah. But the way things are now, I can't fathom how a student midwives don't get the opportunity to develop their vaginal examination skills. The epidural rate is huge in hospital settings. Mm. You know, the chance to look after a woman who has a really good working epidural. So then that takes some of the fear off you as the student that you're going to hurt them. It's going to be uncomfortable. And particularly when you're following through, women are really generous when they know that you're learning. You know, I mean, you could probably remember when we were student midwives, like women are, they'll let you practice taking blood from them. They'll let you do vaginal examinations. Thank you to all those women. <laughs> yeah, because they, you know, they're generous and they understand that we need to learn. It's particularly when you've got a relationship with them in continuity care, they're very generous with yeah. midwifery students. And, you know, it's about starting when the woman has an epidural, start there because, you know, you can fertile around without causing pain for a lot of women and it is definitely the wrong word to use when you're talking about doing a ve jeez i don't know you, you have no bloody idea what you're doing you're just fiddling around and going oh it's warm it's warm <laughs> what am i meant to do <laughs> So in a, in a nutshell, what I'm saying is that there is enough women having epidurals and inductions and epidurals who are generous to share their bodies for students to learn with, with consent, you know, being asked first when the student's not in the room. So I would say to students, take all those opportunities because that's how you're going to learn. You, there isn't apprenticeship. There isn't the opportunity to work for many years alongside an experienced midwife who's going to bring you in to assessments, et cetera. And those bloody boxes that they have at uni do you see the ve box oh my god what? so part what of the mean? problem is with oh the, like a, a play box it's a box, a toy with, box. A, with a vulva and you put your fingers in and like you can change the cervix at the top that doesn't feel anything like a cervix no. it's not warm so that we need to stop that you know vaginal examinations are really intimate they're really personal and nothing feels like a vagina and a cervix yes. nothing you can replicate yes. And to teach it kind of away from the woman, what's the word? Discombobulated, that's the wrong word. Um, <laughs> disconnected? I'm fertling and discombobulated. I'm tired. Brilliant. 
to teach. You've done bloody good, so. <laughs> to teach it is something that's oh distanced from the. It's really you know, vagina examinations are really intimate, and they should be done with the woman in conversation with the woman about you know, please tell me where to stop if it's uncomfortable and. It just yeah. it's all kinds of wrong to teach midwives, student midwives to stick their fingers in a box and guess what the bit of plastic is. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh God. Is there any value in the go home and feel your own? If you want to. I mean it'll give you an idea of what a cervix feels like when it's not in labour. Yeah. Like a firm bit Brilliant. of nose. Yes. Well, it's different. And I mean, the whole feel your nose, it's like the end of your nose. Soft it doesn't really. That, yeah. You haven't got everything warm around your fingers and blah, blah, blah. There's not Also, it depends like the length of your hands, how flexible you are, where your cervix sitting. Don't worry if you can't find it. <laughs> it's there. <laughs> you don't have to feel about. But there is a real, it's a real thing about, you know, the real push for women to be fertile around in their bits so they can be empowered and and not you know but i think for some women that's great that's what they need to do to feel empowered about their bodies but you don't have to do that to feel empowered about you don't have to yes. feel your cervix and feel about in your vagina to to trust your body and know your body works that a good place to end fertling yep let's fertile away into a the rest of our lives now <laughs> and leave the podcast leave the cauldron it can fertile away. Does that make sense? Is it fertile while we're there? I don't know. I have to go and look at that. I might, I might have made that word up completely. I own it. Brilliant. It's, um, what do you call it? With a TM after it. Patented today. Yep. Anyway, I'm, I'm stopping this before we get on to write a load of words that we don't even know what we're talking about. Brilliant. So we now have a task, Rachel, of recording a podcast about assessing early labour for the next one. Yeah, or just about what we do to early women in early labour. All right, put that in the diary. Yeah. Brilliant. Fabulous. Thank you for this. I'm really grateful that we have a podcast that I can now put vaginal examinations and it's seen. And if people don't want to look through our back catalogue, which person is very silly not to, they can come straight here. So brilliant. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your fertling with me today. It's my pleasure. I hope you found a few golden nuggety nuggets in the show today. Please don't press pause, but instead scroll on down on your podcast app. Yep, that's it. Down there. And pop a review and maybe a few stars to make our eyes twinkle with glee. For more on breastfeeding and lactation content, head on over to my website where my course is. And for courses and books from Rachel, you can find everything in the links below. So all I got to say now is see you next time. And I can't wait. So here's the bloopers. I found a bottom. And I found a cheek uh-huh. once. Like cheek. Uh, wow. Was it? Wait, I'm going to cut this because I'm now thinking maybe it was just bum. <laughs> <laughs> a bum cheek. <laughs> it was a bum cheek. You can find all kinds of strange things in there. Wondering which of my courses is for you? 
Breastfeeding and lactation, the fundamentals has been designed for everyone working in the birthing field or those on their journey to becoming breastfeeding specialists or IBCLCs. This course gives you seven hours of CPD and is packed with reflective learning, case studies and some pretty tough at times quizzes to make sure this stuff sticks. It also means you can meet me monthly in my live Q&A. This is my course that I hope will fill in the gaps that traditional breastfeeding education has left out. I want you completing this, feeling confident to support any breastfeeding or lactation challenge of those in your care. But wait, I have another course called The Feeding Couch. Who's this for? Currently, around 80 to 96% of women decide to breastfeed during their pregnancy, but by just eight weeks after birth, a third to almost 50% of those women have stopped breastfeeding. And of those women who stopped, 80% say they stopped breastfeeding before they wanted to. Learning about breastfeeding during pregnancy has been shown to improve breastfeeding self-confidence and improve the rate of exclusive breastfeeding in the short and the long term. I believe every mum should be able to choose how she wants to feed her baby and for how long. Knowledge is power. That's why I created The Feeding Couch, designed to be watched during pregnancy or for new mums and parents who may be struggling right now with breastfeeding. The content is in step-by-step, binge-worthy whilst pregnant or for those most tired of days postpartum. Totally easy to find exactly what you need and dip in and out when you need a breastfeeding answer quickly. And for you, beautiful podcast listener, there is a 10% discount off both courses when you use the code POD10, that's P-O-D-10, at checkout. To find out more, hop on over to my website, katiejames.site, and have a look at the incredible content waiting for your lucky peepers. Mm -hmm.